0: God bless. Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Good to be with you all. You know, it is our desire that uh, this community be family, uh, that you are comfortable here wherever you're coming from, wherever you are at mentally, emotionally, even physically. I know that sometimes just getting to church is like, okay, God, I did enough. Don't ask any more. I got the kids here, period, right? And sometimes it's all that we can do to make it here. And if that's how you feel, that's okay, all right? I want you to know that being here, we're glad you're here and you can feel that way. You can be honest with your struggles. There is no need to be pretentious or pretend. We want you to be comfortable we want to be family as much as possible. And so, you know, we strive to bring that across that we are allowing us to be human with all our differences, with all our disagreements on different things, whether it's politically or whatever arena, it's okay. We can be here and we can still be family because I don't know about you, but I don't agree with my family. On most things, you know, and so that's okay. I want you to know that it's okay and we are glad that you are here and hope that our time together will be an opportunity for growth in some way that God can use in our lives. This morning we are going to be continuing part three of our series, My Neighbor's Keeper, and if you've been with us for a while, you know that this has been a trajectory that we've been on. A while back, we did a series called Others, and we talked about the marginalized and how we can be a bridge to those who are on the outskirts, those who are maybe disenfranchised, those who are looked down upon, that it is the role of the church to be That comfort to those who have been outcast in many ways. We we did a series in our midweek that was called Together where we talked about what can we do again to help see ourselves in connection with humanity instead of pushing away those who are not like us. And so we are continuing in this theme. And the reason we're doing this is because this is, I believe, so important for us at this time in our society. We are living in a nation that is being divided, and that is a great opportunity. Instead of looking at this and saying, oh, man, look how divided we are. Look at this and say, what opportunity there is to bring together people who are in disagreement Because we all care about each other. We all care about the other, or at least we should. And that's what we are trying to push through and help us as followers of Jesus to emanate this belief. And so the first week we talked about Ruth, a Moabite woman who did what was not ordinary. She did the extraordinary, her faithfulness to Naomi proved to be God's presence in her life just by her not leaving and remaining faithful. We looked at Cain and Abel, and we we saw that, how Cain really sought to be by himself, autonomous, and put God and others to the side. And we can't do that if we are going to be our neighbor's keeper. And today, we're going to be talking about Batman and the Gladiator. Revenge and justice, school bullies, and slacktivism. But before we start, we're going to watch a short video taken from James chapter 2 to try and bring home what it is to actually be our neighbor's keeper. So let's watch that together. James always strikes us a little bit hard. It's kind of a wake-up call. The idea of faith without works is a belief system that doesn't show up, is of no use. A faith that has nothing that gives of itself cannot save those who are in need. That's the idea. It's not talking about saving of the soul when it says, you know, can that faith save you? It's talking about can it help the poor person who's hungry? Can it actually do any good to those around you if it doesn't show up in the things that we do? And this is the story of the Good Samaritan. This is the story of being my neighbor's keeper. This is showing up in the things that we do that make a difference to the people around us. The whole of Scripture is about this. We, we, I think try to spiritualize things many times and we we miss what the heart of God has been throughout the scripture. We saw in Genesis 21 when Abraham and Sarah kicked out the handmaiden who they first brought in because she had Ishmael by Abraham and then kicked him out because of jealousy. Left out in the desert, a woman by herself with her son, She cried out and God heard her. We see in Exodus chapter three, verse seven, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. It is constantly in the scriptures that God is hearing the voice of those who are being afflicted, those who are being abused, the orphans, the widows, Those who are hungry and without, God hears their cries and his ear is open towards them. Whenever Israel was in a position being subject to any kind of oppression, God's ear was always listening out for them. Psalm 10 verse 17 says you Lord hear the desires of the afflicted you encourage them and you listen to their cry and we get to Jesus and he says I have come to bring this good news freedom to the captive. To bring healing to the brokenhearted. Why? Because this is the direction that God has been on all along. It is the heart of God that shows up through the pages of scripture that is supposed to now show up in us, the church. So that we can represent these things in a way that people can see our good works and glorify our father who is in heaven. It is how God is clearly seen in how we love and care for each other. And and so it is at the foundation of our faith. And, And so when we talk about my neighbor's keeper or when we talk about being together, we talk about extending love towards those who the world does not love or who would be considered less than the poor at that time when James is writing, it could be a people of different faith here. It could be people of different persuasion, whatever it might be. God cares, God hears, God loves and is concerned and wants us to be as well. Now, many times when we see something that's unjust, we see injustice taking place, unjust. We see injustice taking place. What we want to do is bring about vengeance, Now, we don't say that, but imagine with me, right? All the major movies, Batman, the story begins, poor Bruce walking home with his parents. I've seen it so many times. And his parents are killed by a criminal. And every time Batman comes back, it's like this, he's going to get him, right? We're rooting for Batman or even more so. Right? Maximus and the gladiator. He was a faithful servant of Tiberius. He just wanted to go home to his wife and his child. But Commodus kills his dad and demands that Maximus serve him. And he doesn't. And so he kills him or leaves him for dead. You know the story. He He ends up in the arena there. And when it's finally Maximus and Commodus there... I'm just slowly eating the popcorn, and I'm just waiting. And I'm just like, when he finally puts the knife through, I'm like, yes, justice. No, it's revenge. But that's what we want sometimes, right? I mean, you don't have to say yes, but I know you do. I, I at least I do. It's like he killed that guy. He deserved to die. I mean, he, Joaquin Phoenix played that part so great. He just hated him, right? Am I not merciful? I can hear it still, right? It's just like, oh, man, that that guy needs to die. And so all these movies and all this storyline that we get fed is all about revenge and killing the injustice. So turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 13, and I'm going to piece my way, storyboard my way through this chapter because it's a long chapter and I don't have time to go over everything, but I, I want to bring out the highlights. We, we have five characters really that we're going to be talking about. We have Amnon, who is the son of David. We've got Absalom, who is also a son of David, but they have different mothers. We have Tamar, who is the daughter of David, who is the actual sister, the biological sister of Absalom, who is the stepsister of Amnon. And then we have the sneaky guy, Jonadab, who is the cousin of them. And then we have King David. And in verse 13, we'll start of 2 Samuel 13. And it says... Now, Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. Or this is verse 1 in chapter 13, I'm sorry. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. Go down to verse 5. Jonadab said to him, lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king... Please tell my sister Tamar to come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar saying, go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. Verse nine, the latter portion says, and Amnon said, send everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. And then what? Amnon does is as Tamar's feeding him and he sends everybody out, he grabs her and he forces her to lay with him and she pleads, don't do this. Do not shame me. If you do this to me, it will ruin my life. I will never be able to have a husband. I will never be able to take care of myself. Maybe if you ask our father, David, he can work something out But Amnon would not hear of it, and he rapes her. And after he rapes her, he sends her out, and he tells his servants, locks the doors behind her. She pleads, don't get rid of me this way. Don't treat me this way. You are treating me less than a servant. You are, be sh- you are bringing shame not only to me, but to our whole household. Get her out, lock the door. And in verse 15, it says, then Amnon hated her with very great hatred so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up and go. Scandalous. Awful. And it's not over. As she's leaving, she's weeping and she's in mourning now. Especially at this time in this society, what that meant, her losing her virginity was basically her sentence for her future. Who is she going to marry now? How can she be of any value to someone in this condition? And her brother Absalom sees her and says, what's going on? And he understands, did Amnon hurt you? Did he bring harm to you? Verse 20, after her brother Absalom said to her, has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister, He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. In other words, it's not your fault. So Tamar lived a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Notice verse 21. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. Again, a scandalous story. All these things that happen. It's reminiscent of something we would watch on Netflix today. Or more accurately, it's what's happening in our politics today, or in Hollywood today, or in our society today. So actually, it's not very scandalous. It's kind of normal in society. It's a shame to say it, but it really is. And and some would say that justice is to deal with Amnon, which Absalom does. Says two years later that Absalom had a, a sheep shearing party, like you do, you know, when you got sheep and you need a little shearing. So he invited all his brothers to come there and he told King David, make sure that Amnon comes as well. And so David didn't go. But he told Amnon, you need to go to the sheep shearing party. It's a big deal, apparently. And so he goes and then Amnon gets his servants or Absalom gets his servants and says, kill Amnon. And so his servants do and they kill him and all his other brothers run. And word comes back to David that all his children have been killed by Absalom, which wasn't true. It was just Amnon. And now David is grieving again. He's very upset. And what we think justice is, is dealing with Amnon. Yeah, you kill Amnon, now justice has been served. But actually, he's the perpetrator of the injustice. But if we can't stop, if we can't stop there, if we stop with just dealing with Amnon, then we've missed what it means to pursue justice. We've gotten revenge on this person for what he did, but justice is more than that. He took revenge and killed Amnon. But you see, Absalom took Tamar into his own household. Where she would have been outcast, he brought her in and took care of her. Not only that, in the next chapter we see that Absalom actually names his daughter after his sister Tamar redeeming her name, giving her value again, trying to esteem her. This is what Absalom does in trying to help her recover what was lost. You see, revenge deals with the perpetrator. Justice brings restoration to the person who has been hurt. And I don't know about you, but growing up in church, When you hear Absalom, you think bad guy. And you hear David and you hear good guy. What did David do in this situation? He got mad. That's it. All he did was get mad. We'll come back to that. Revenge deals with the perpetrator. Justice deals with the problem. What we need to do is become people who deal with the problem and don't just want revenge. We live in a time where people are still preyed upon, where children are still preyed upon, where women are still preyed upon. And justice is dealing with that problem wherever we see it. Stepping up as Absalom did for his sister Tamar and said, Here, you can stay with me. And you know what? My daughter, I'm going to name her after you because I have respect for you, even though the, in the world's eyes you've lost respect, not in my eyes. I'm going to help you to recover. When I was in second grade, I went to school in Pico Rivera. My mom would drop me off at my cousin's house, and then we would go to school, and then. I would go home a little bit earlier than them. I forget why. They were a couple years older than me. And so the way I would go, I would try and go around this one area, and there were these bullies in the neighborhood who used to always meet me. You'd think I'd take a different way. I don't know why I didn't, but... I would go and I would always be looking out like, are these kids here, you know, and then I would see them and they'd be on bikes. So they were faster than me because I was just walking and I would try and run and they'd pull me over and then they would take whatever money I had and they would take my cookies because I would always get these vanilla cookies for the walk home and and they would just kind of push me around and they would take my stuff. And I'd get home, and I'd tell my cousin, oh, these guys, they took my money, and they took my cookies, and I can't believe it. One day, we were out with my cousins, and we were getting some hamburgers at this little place. I think it was called Prince's. That's weird that I remember that. Anyway, we were getting some hamburgers at Prince's, and I saw the bullies that were there. But now I was with my cousin and his friends, and they were all older. And I said, that's the guy who who's, takes my money and steals my cookies. And my cousin and all the street friends there that were like sixth graders, right? This guy was like a fourth grader and I was like a second grader. So there's a pecking order. You guys know the rule, right? And so my cousin and all his friends come in there and his friends were pretty, I mean, here's the idea. When one of his friends would babysit us, One of the things we did when he babysit us would teach us how to jump people, okay? That's what we did for fun. (laughs) Anyway, so one of the friends is there, and we're going there, and we're talking, and he goes, hey, you messing with my cousin? And the guy's, what? No, no. And I go, yeah, you're the guy who steals my money, and you took my cookies. And I was quick to point the finger out. And the guys got in the face. They started pushing him around. hey, don't mess with him anymore. If I find out you mess with my cousin, I'm going to come and get you, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) mess with me, (laughs) The next time I walked home, I was not afraid because I had backup. I had someone watching out for me. See, Absalom was watching out for Tamar with what happened, trying to restore her, trying to make things right so it doesn't happen. So she is not shamed. When you are in an office place and someone starts making degrading remarks, if you say nothing, And just get mad. You're not helping the cause. If you don't stand up and say, hey, you can't talk about women that way. Hey, that joke, it's a little too off color. I don't appreciate it. I don't like how this is written up. It's very prejudiced. When I was in sixth grade, I had to write a report on China. I don't know why, but I did. And so I went to the library and I got a book, the only book I could find on China. And I remember just getting the book and opening it up and started basically plagiarizing. But that's what you do when you're in school. or That's what I did. And so I started (laughs) just writing what the book said about China. And then I gave it to my grandfather to look at. And part of the thing I didn't even realize that I wrote, I wrote in there that, you know, in China, all the people look the same. It said that in the book. And my grandfather said, that's terrible. And he made me aware of what I just plagiarized and wrote. And then it's like, well, I didn't write it. It was in the book, right? But I copied it. And he says, no, we got to rewrite this. And so then... My grandfather, who had this justice thing going on here, made me write pages out, which is what I wasn't trying to do, right? I had to write all these pages about how, you know, this is a prejudiced thing to say that all Chinese people look the same. It's not true. They see themselves different. We need to see them differently as well. And I had to go on and on and on to bring this out. And I remember it to this day because it was the right thing to do. There was a book in my library that said that. There are probably books in our library still that need to be called out. There are people who are maybe teaching or or speaking that still need to be called out. And, And it's not enough to get mad. David was the king. David represented authority. David was the law. And what did he do? He got mad, period. He did not step in. He did not bring any retribution to Tamar. He did not bring any condemnment or judgment onto Amnon. All he did was get upset. And I feel that so represents us today. They have invented a term that's called slacktivism. It's not activism because it's slacktivism. And what it is is it's when you post things online and complain but do nothing else. I'm so mad about the injustice here. I'm going to write all about it. What else are you going to do? Nothing. I wrote about it. That's good. That's slacktivism. You did nothing. Oh, yeah, you wrote about it. Oh, it was real eloquently. You got a 1,000 likes. But the injustice is still going on. The people are still being abused, taken advantage of. This problem that you tried to make everyone aware of, you actually didn't do anything to change it. You got a bunch of likes, and everyone else probably went their way and did the same thing. And now you get a thousand shares of people saying a thousand things, and no one's doing anything to make a difference because we don't want to get our hands dirty. I'm busy right now, I've got to binge watch my next show. That's going to take a lot of time, at least three hours. And we don't understand. That what we are supposed to do is step into these things. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. I'm going to go through a few verses here in Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 2, it starts off, Hear, O Israel, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children, have I reared and brought up? But they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Go down to verse 11. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? This trampling of my courts, stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, feasts, and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Verse 16, he says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. What is the wrong? Let's continue reading. Learn to do right. Seek Justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now. Let us settle the matter or let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. What sins? I've always heard the scripture, God, let us reason together. Oh, God is wanting to bring me to himself. God is wanting to do more than that. God is wanting to bring justice to the world. And he's wanting to use his people to do that. Wash your hands. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case, plead the case of the widows. This is what God wants you to do. And if you're not doing, he said, let's reason together though you've neglected what I want you to do, I can make it right again. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you know what that word righteousness means? It means justice. It doesn't mean seek to be right with God. It means seek what is right with God, and it actually means justice. Seek his justice. Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice. You see, this is again why Jesus came. This is the story of Scripture. This is the story that we are fitting ourselves into. It is the justice of God that we are supposed to promote, that we are supposed to bring about to bear. And it's not enough to get mad. And it's not enough to try and get revenge. I want to see that person in jail. And I want to see that person fired. I want to see this stop. And so we have situations that come up in society. And it doesn't matter what the individual situations are, what matters is what are we going to do to help them? And it's tragic because instead of actually getting involved to make differences, we end up going to Washington and debating, right? So how many school shootings have we had now? And how how many dollars have been spent to either try and stop or bring about more gun control or to maintain the NRA. I wonder if all the money that we have put into these two sides that I'm not saying one or the other but I wonder if all the money that is put into those things could have maybe put into some other way to protect our children. Maybe like build a fence around the schools, maybe like put a guard where children have to go through to get into the school. Maybe we can do something like that. Maybe we can volunteer to be as parents and just watch the schools and watch our children's because we're saying enough is enough instead of trying to get washington to take care of these things maybe we need to push washington in the right direction maybe what we need to do is lift up a voice in our own community saying hey what can we do in our school district to make our children safe instead of saying that makes me mad you guys do something I support these people. We're going to raise money for this, and we're going to raise money for this, and nothing is being done. I'm kind of tired of it. I'm kind of tired that racism is still going on, and what I need to do is actually step into the conversation and have the deeper conversation of why people feel alienated. Why they feel disenfranchised? What are the things that they mean when they say white privilege? How do I represent those things? Instead of just getting mad, having a deeper conversation and actually developing relationships with other people? What about with other churches? What about with the black churches that are in our community? Maybe we can have an open forum and have good communication and maybe the church can be where it starts, where we can actually become friends and care about each other and love each other as we're supposed to. Maybe we can be the ones who actually hold each other's hands and support and say, I am here and I've got your back and I will be there to make sure that justice is done whenever I see injustice take place, instead of just talking, instead of just getting mad, instead of just going on. This shows up in our lives, at our work, in our families, wherever we are at, in the conversations that we have. It has to go further, because a faith without works is dead. A belief system that doesn't do anything is the same as no belief system at all. And if we are the light of the world, and if we are promoting what Jesus began, then it has to do with seeking his kingdom and his justice. In our lives, in the lives of those around us, we are the voice that will take Tamar in And allow our sister to live with us, not shamed. And we are the ones who will name our children to take away that shame. We are the ones who will step into the relationship to push it where it needs to go, to not just deal with the person, but to help the problem. I wish it was easy. I wish I could tell you guys go outside and this is the three things, sign this petition and do this. But what it's going to take is involvement in some way. I don't know what you can do, but I'm saying we need to do something. We need to do more than just get mad. We need to do more than just talk. We need to develop something more than slacktivism. We actually need to develop justice. And God's saying, let us reason together. Though your sins, what sins? You're allowing injustice to continue. You're allowing people who are impoverished to stay in that condition. You're allowing people who are hurting and lonely and broken to stay there without making a big difference. You see, you come to church, and I really don't care about your church services, uh, and, and your singing it means nothing to me if there isn't justice underneath it. And, and I think in the last, I don't know how many years, maybe 10 years, there has been a big push on justice. The church always goes through these pushes. Right, before that, there was a prayer of Jabez, Push, right? Everyone get your prayer out and your, everyone's going good. And then there is a whole end times prayer, you know, here, there in the air, God's coming back, right? And I'm not, again, I'm not saying anything's are bad, but there's always these pushes, but I think God's push has always been justice. And I don't want in 10 more years, this to go away. I don't want this to be a, a fad that we went. Through. remember that time we were all into justice? Yeah, that was really cool. No, that needs to be character that we maintain that needs to be a lifestyle that we live and we step into so that it makes a difference and it has to start where we're at it has to start in our homes start in our work in our school in our conversation we need to be able to step up and break the bridges or build the bridges and break the walls down that have been built up have the conversations that no one's having. Get to the roots of the problems so that we can actually do something that helps people. Let's pray. Father, I've been challenged by you once again. When I read Isaiah chapter 1, it's like snatching my face off it. It is calling me out. It is putting me to the test. It is putting fire under my feet. It is challenging me to live more. And God, it has always been just my mindset to, to see things maybe through a rose colored glasses, to, to see the church's purpose as just uh, telling people that Jesus died for them. But, Lord, I know that it is so much more. It is showing people that you love them by actually loving them, by actually caring, by showing a faith that does something more than talk. And, Lord, where I have seen Absalom, who who did do some terrible things, he also did some pretty noble things here. And David, who did some amazing things, who is a, a man that has said after your own heart, he wasn't always and didn't always behave there, that way. And Lord, there are some areas where we can learn from his lack as well as the areas we learn from his surplus. And so help us, God, to divide these things in our hearts and in our lives and to make a difference. And I I pray that I, as pastor at this community, would do what I can to build bridges that connect us to those who are outside of this community. Lord, more than just what we're doing in the orphanages in Mexico and more than what we're doing in Haiti, what needs to be done here in Upland? Lord, I do pray for our schools here, and what can we do to help make them safer? Lord, what can we promote that will change not only our community, but even those around us by pursuing justice, by wanting to make a difference with the problem, and not just wanting a vengeance? to put someone away. God, give us staying focus on what your desire is and has always been that we can represent you well. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. May you seek first the kingdom of God this week and his righteousness. For he has shown us what is good and what the Lord requires of us to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. See you Wednesday or next Sunday. God bless. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings.